Well, good morning again. It's great to be back. Always enjoy coming here. Uh, Alright, we're still this morning as we stood up at the Lord's table and turned around and saw this place packed. I mean, that's a marvelous thing to see. Uh, also, my heart was really encouraged by the number of young men who are taking part uh, at the Lord's table. And uh, I've learned that you have to be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. You've heard that phrase before. Well, uh, Brother Dave Dixon was in Michigan, uh, well, maybe about a month, I can't remember, before we were coming out here, and he stopped over the house with his brother Doug, and, and I said, well, he confirmed the dates, and I said, well, is there anything you'd like to have me speak on? And of course, normally what I get is, oh, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, okay? Well, that makes it, in one way, easy for the preacher, but in another way, it's kind of a challenge because, you know, you want to minister to the needs of the saints where they are. So then, of course, I turn to the Lord, and I trust he guides and directs me on those things that I should minister, and I trust he does. But uh, what I've been hearing this morning just reconfirms what he said to me, he says, you know, we have an awful lot of young people and young married couples. People are being engaged. We have other young people who are looking forward to those days. So it'd be nice if you would speak on the topic of marriage and the family. Well, that's a tough subject to speak on. I, I have done it before. I can remember the first time I was asked to do it. I was relatively a young married man myself at the time, but one of the assemblies uh, the, the young couples there wanted me to come and speak to them about all the nitty-gritties about marriage and the family. And so I did. And they seemed pleased. I'm not sure I did a good job, but they seemed to be pleased and thanked me for it. And I've spoken on it a few times before, but the reason they, these are difficult subjects to talk about is because of the world in which we live today. You know... As you look at marriage and the family in the world today, it is a mess. It really is. Uh, the things that are being crammed down our throats today are terrible. You know, marriage even in the United States and throughout the world is really being replaced by let's try it for a while Let's see if it works, and if it does, well, then we may consider that. If it doesn't work, well, we can go our separate ways. No commitment whatsoever. And, of course, it's easy to point the finger at the world because, you know, we, are, we hear an awful lot about, you know, same-sex marriages today. We're not going to be here to debate and discuss those things in detail. All I'm trying to point out is the world's view of these things makes it difficult even in the church to speak on these things. And why is that? It's because the church has not adhered to Romans 12, 1 and 2. The second verse says, be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, that's true in all aspects of life, but 
in relationship to what we're going to be dealing with today is particularly relevant to marriage and the family. And I know in my lifetime, you know, I'm 73 now, so basically it's two generations. I'm in the third, basically. I can't believe the changes that have taken place in the church over my lifetime. And why have they taken place? Is because the church has allowed the world to creep in. And we've become conformed in many ways to what the world says. So as we approach this topic today, I want to approach it from what God's view is of marriage in the family. Not what the world's view is, nor what your thoughts are. Because you see, many of our thoughts have been formed by the conforming to this world. We see it happen in the world. They justify and explain it the way they feel it is and why it should be. And if you're not careful, you begin to think like they do. And I, I recall it's, uh, many instances over the years of people who knew what the Word of God taught, they even taught the Word. And yet when something happened in their families, for some reason, they weren't quite so sure about what the Word said. Now, in our instance, you know, I think maybe there is a room for, you know, kind of accepting a little bit of what the world has to say. And, you know, I, I'm so thankful you have a, a large number of young married couples and those who are engaged. I think it's marvelous. And, of course, I trust that all of those who are engaged know the Lord. All of them. Because that is a part of it. But what we're going to do today is just focus on this. And we're going to be using the passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, last year I did speak on the, on the book of Ephesians a little bit with you. And, of course, uh, being here three times, six lessons, I can't cover the whole book of Ephesians. So... You know, I prayed about which lessons, and the Lord focused, had me focus on the first chapter in quite detail. And then the last time I was here in March, I started with the first half of chapter 5. And, of course, in the first half of chapter 5, uh, we're told in verse 1, we are to be imitators of God as dear children. And, of course, he always honest says, and one way you do that is to walk in love. And, of course, Christ is the example of that. And then you go down to verse 8, and it says, now that you are children of light, uh, you're to walk as children of light. And then you go down a little bit further, and it tells us that, you know, we're not to uh, walk as fools, but you walk as wise, those who are wise. We know that wisdom comes from God. There is no other true wisdom 
and that which comes from God. And that we're to redeem the time. Because you know, the days are evil. <laughs> you got to take every opportunity you can to serve the Lord and live for the Lord. Because you're living in a wicked, sinful world. See, that's how you walk wisely. By redeeming the time that the Lord has given you. Now, we were sad to hear of the home going in one respect of Harry. But, of course, we rejoiced in the other aspect because he's with the Lord. But, you know, Harry and Dorothy were so dear to us. Uh, it's been 20 years, basically, since we've been coming out here. And I remember the first time we came, Harry met me at the door. And they befriended us, as has many in this meeting. A lot of great memories. But I'm so thankful he's at peace with the Lord today. I'll see him again someday. The day for him of redeeming the time is done. But for us, it's not. And then, of course, we looked at verse 18. Be filled, controlled with the Holy Spirit of God. And, of course, in order us to walk in love, to walk in light, to redeem the time, there's only one way you're going to do that. And that's to have the Spirit of God control your life. So we spoke on that in the morning. Well, then for some reason, I skipped to chapter 6, verse 10, for the evening service. Why did I do that? Because that's what the Lord laid on my heart to do. It wasn't that the passage starting with verse 21 here in chapter 5 wasn't important, though it was extremely important. But at that time, he laid on my heart, you know, make sure they understand that in order to live a spirit-controlled life, they have to clothe themselves in the whole armor of God. And we went through all the various pieces and pointed out how important it was that you put on every piece of that clothing so you might withstand the wiles of the evil one. You know, the evil one is at work today like he's never been before. One of his greatest targets is the family. And you know, in my lifetime, not just as a Christian, uh, as a child, as a parent, as one who's been married and continues to be joyfully married, and I really mean that, I've seen a lot of good examples. Uh, part of the reason our marriage is successful, the main reason is the Lord is in it. But also I had examples I could follow. I observed what the proper marriage and family should be like from God's view. It was lived out before me. So I was taught from God's word and the example of those in my family what a godly marriage and a godly family was and how it was to function. But you know, as a high school counselor and teacher and coach, I have seen far more examples of what marriage should not be, what families should not be. 
As I sat and listened to parents and their children arguing and cussing each other out in my office, you just shook your head. Why did that child have all these problems? Look right over here at mom and dad. That's why. They just mimic what they've been observing all their life. So is this an important topic? <laughs> oh, it is. Now, I realize that we have here, as we said, people who are engaged. We have young married couples. We have other young people who may or may not get married, and it doesn't really matter whether you do or not. That's between you and the Lord. The Lord will give you the grace and the wisdom to do what he would have you do and deal with it. Scripture covers all of that. We also have married couples who've been married for quite some time. And we have some other married couples, like I guess myself and my wife. I guess we're going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, and that's probably nothing compared to some of you, who've been married a long time. And I also know as we read from the scriptures, there's going to be many different reactions to what you're going to hear. I'm not going to say an awful lot about what I think about things. I'm going to present God's view of these things. And some of you will be happy that I'm speaking on these things. Some will be thankful that I'm speaking on this. Some of you are going to be convicted as I speak on these things, even though you've been married for quite some time. Some of you might even be very angry. Why would a guy tamper with that? Well, I tamper with a lot of things <laughs> that people don't like to hear because I preach God's word. It's not me who's tampering. It's, it's the spirit of God who's tampering in your life. I don't know how you're going to respond to this. And that is not my greatest concern, other than my concern is that you will allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart about God's view of what marriage should be, what a family situation should be. And if it contradicts some things that you have come to believe, re-examine your beliefs compared to what Scripture has to say. That's my hope today. So this morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Tonight we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective. When we trust by the time it's all done, it will be helpful and fruitful in the lives of those who are beginning or planning to begin their lives together. So we're going to begin reading with verse 21 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. And I want to um, <clears throat> begin with verse 21. It simply says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. See, submission of the Holy Spirit's control here is going to be given to us in specific situations in life. But, again, but it begins with submitting to one another, yielding to one another, surrendering to one another. Now, I know you don't like to hear those words. I don't either. It, it goes against my brain 
see, migraine, to have to feel I have to yield, submit, be subject to someone else. You know, that's what rebellion is all about. And, of course, you're going to find it in the marriage and the family relationship. Submitting has to take place by everyone. By everyone. And one thing I want to say about submission, and I think this is why we have some problems. Because, you know, the Lord uh, requires and demands, really, a submissive spirit towards all believers and all people. The Lord himself, the God of very God, submitted himself to the cross, yielded. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And from his children, he, would, he desires a submissive spirit. And that's towards all people. But you know, this word submission, I want to make sure you want to say, never implies inferiority. And this is where a lot of the problem has arisen in the world today. If someone is asked to submit, well, who are you to tell me that I have to submit? I'm just as good as you. Maybe better. Yeah, well, you might be. But you see, it doesn't imply inferiority. And the best example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was submissive to God, the Father. But in no way was he inferior to God, the Father. He said, I and my Father are one, in the same essence. Those who have seen me have seen the Father. And yet... When he left heaven's glory, yes, we know he was still deity. He still had his attributes, but it also says he emptied himself in scripture. Well, what did he empty himself of? Well, his visible glory, <laughs> he had to. If he came down in his visible glory, there would have been no work of redemption. Who would have touched him? They would have known he was God. He came down without his visible glory and his positional glory. He set those aside. So now, as the Son of Man, even though God, he submitted himself to his Father and his Father's will. You see, the point of emphasis here is Christ's view of these relationships, not ours, or the world's view is what we really have to have before us. So what I've decided to do this morning is we're going to spend a little time just reading some passages from God's word. I'm not going to comment on them. There's nothing I can add to them. It's God's word. And there are things you have heard before. But I want you to turn to the ones that I ask you to turn to. And then just listen to the ones that are a little bit shorter, which I have just written down, but I can assure you I'll give you the passage and you can check out that I'm not making it up. So the first passage I want you to turn to is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And here we're going to find concerning marriage, 
that God instituted. You know, marriage is a wonderful thing. <laughs> it really is. God thought so, or he wouldn't have instituted it. But in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7, we'll start with just verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, I want to emphasize it is the Lord God who's speaking here. Lord is Jehovah, Yahweh, the self-existent creator and redeemer. Who is Jesus Christ? He's Jehovah, come in the flesh, the self-existent redeemer and creator. All right, so when we're talking here in the Old Testament about the Lord God, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ when he speaks in the New Testament saying the same things. Just point that out to you. Then in verse 18, as I said, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper com uh, comparable to him. <laughs> Did you get that? A helper comparable. Not one who's inferior and one who is superior, one who is comparable. We're the same in God's eyes. We are. Man or woman is the same. Verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had made, taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, God instituted it. I want you now quickly just to look at Mark chapter 10. Because here Jesus Christ reinforces it. Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation. Now what did I just read in Genesis? God was in the process of creating man and woman. Jesus says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let's go to Psalm 128. Here we'll see marriage as being honorable. Psalm 28, verses 3 through 9. Excuse me, verses 1 through 4. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In the very heart of your house, your children 
like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now let's go to Proverbs 31, just over a few pages. And of course, we're all familiar with this concerning the virtuous woman. It's read on every Mother's Day, but the whole passage in itself does not have a lot to do with mothers and has to do with women, but there are some portions in here which deal with this. Verses 3 through 9. Excuse me, I've got so many passages. Verses 10 through 12. Okay, 10 through 12. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will lack, have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. There's another passage which I'm just going to read, which is Hebrews 13:4. Again, Hebrews 13:4. Don't take time to turn to it. Just listen, because I'll be done by the time you get there. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now let's turn to Matthew 19. Here we will see the obligations that God's word sets forth. Matthew chapter 19. Starting with verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God hath joined together let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits Adultery. Now turn to Mark chapter uh, 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Before these two verses, he reiterates what he said in the Matthew account. But then it says in verses 11 and 12, Whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Go to Romans chapter 7. Verses 2 and 3. Romans 7, verse 2. 
For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. One final verse or passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Those are the obligations of marriage. Now I'll read a few verses of what God has to say about husbands. In Colossians 3.19, I'm just going to read these, so just remember the passage. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. In verse 21, he refers to the husbands as fathers. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. A second passage, 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now we're going to have a couple of verses about the wives. Colossians 3, 18. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 1 Peter 3.1, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And even if they do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now just a verse to children as they're a part of the family, too. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now a couple of passages for all believers, but in this lesson with the husband, wives, and children, and marriage and the family in mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, right on through verse 7, or 1 of chapter 7. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part is a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And the final one is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. But that is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's God's view of marriage, the family, husbands, wives, and children. Now, as I mentioned, as I've read through that, I'm sure some of you have been challenged by that. Some of you have been convicted by it. Some of you might even be looking back in times in your life or the lives of those in your family with regret because you have seen where they have conformed to the world and all the problems it has caused. Now, we aren't going to get very far with Ephesians this morning. See, I didn't read any passages from Ephesians. We're going to look at those before the day is over. But you see, my emphasis this morning is we have to understand marriage is a marvelous institution. God instituted it. The Lord Jesus Christ confirmed it. God's word lays out, and Jesus Christ specifically made it clear what is involved from his perspective. God's perspective and view of these relationships. And you see, that's what I want to impress upon you today. We have got to continue to look at God's view and not allow what the world does to affect our way of thinking as to these truths. And unfortunately, For many, it has already happened in Christendom. Christendom is in a sad state of affairs when it comes to the family and marriage. Praise God, I know many who are following the biblical guidelines in their marriages and in the raising of their children. And I've seen children who are following the biblical guidelines that God has set. And I'm so thankful Every time I see that, every place I go, I see examples of that. But I also have to be honest. There are those in my own assembly back home, and every assembly I have been to, where there have been problems in these areas. And why is that? It's because we have not remained faithful 
to God's view, Christ's view of these relationships. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at the Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know, you might say, well, why do you even have us turn there? We never got to it. <laughs> That's okay. I wasn't sure we were going to, but if we did, we'd be ready to go. But I hope you'll come out tonight because there's, we really want to get into further instruction. And, and the marvelous truth is, and we can just mention this in passing, this relationship between husband and wife in the marriage relationship is a type a beautiful type of the relationship between Christ and the church. And that's what we've forgotten. I've done a wedding or so, and I've read from Ephesians chapter 5. I have been to many Christian weddings, and even weddings where they weren't Christians. And they read from Ephesians chapter 5. But the point is, very few people have any idea what's really being said there. And when we, as husbands and wives, begin to understand, we are a type of Christ and the church, we will take this a little bit more seriously, or at least we should. So we're going to look at that tonight, and then if time permits, have a few additional thoughts on it. Well, I trust the Lord has spoken to your heart through his word. See, the spirit of God speaks through the word of God, <laughs> not through me, through the word of God. And that's all I've given you this morning. You know God's view now. Tonight, we'll just continue on and trust it will be helpful to you. Shall we close in prayer? Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we truly want to thank you and praise you again for your word. For your word is truth. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is light unto our path. We're so thankful that you are willing to lead us and guide us and direct us in the paths of righteousness. For your namesake. Oh, may we be willing to follow you in those paths of righteousness. For your name's sake. And as we deal with this topic... We first of all are so thankful for those who have found love in one another. And as they are married or are approaching marriage, may they understand how important it is to not only view it, but to live it as you have taught it. For in doing so, their hearts and their lives and their marriages and their families will be blessed. But if they stray from your word, we know from experience there will be bitterness and disappointment and despair. So Lord, just help us to apply these truths in our lives, to examine our own hearts and lives, to make sure that we're living in a manner that is pleasing unto thee and beneficial to ourselves. Part us now with your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.